0: welcome everybody to the moose room once again og3 and our third episode in our mental health series for the month of may we are joined today by a very special guest, probably one of the most special ones we've had. And I'm not just saying that to, you know, be a brown noser. We are very excited to have a longtime fan of the show. One of the original fans of the show, I think you you've been with us for quite some time and and a dairy farmer in Iowa. We are joined today by Kevin Dietzel. What's up, Kevin?
1: Hey, so happy to be here.
0: We are so happy to have you. I know Brad especially is excited because you are a grazing dairy. That's right.
2: <laughs> exactly. And he, he's uh, doing some very interesting things there with his cows too. So it's uh, always a good thing. And we've had lots of conversations uh, across Twitter and many different areas. So it's happy that uh, finally you're here.
0: Well, we were so excited that you said yes, that you wanted to be on the show. So before we get into it though, and I mean, this is a little unfair because Kevin's a long-time listener. So he knows what's coming. But he is a guest, so he needs to be asked the two not-so-secret questions to him. (laughs) Joe, go ahead.
3: All right, the not-so-secret questions to Kevin. Kevin, we need to know your favorite beef breed first. Okay, you're going to have to start a new category for this one. And I hope I'm not breaking any rules. Uh I'm going to say Normandy. Normandy. We will accept that. We We will accept that. Yeah, absolutely. Actually... Uh, It hasn't come out at the time we're recording this, but someone threw in a dairy breed on the beef side last week. Meg said Jersey last week. So let's uh, run through the total quick. So that is Angus at six, still leading still out in front ahead of Hereford's, which is the only important thing. Hereford's at six, Black Baldy two, Belted Galloway two, Brahmin one, Stabilizer one, Gelvy one, Scottish Highlander one, Kianina one, Charlay one, Simotel one, Lorraine one, Jersey one, and now Normandy with one. All right, let's go to the dairy side. What is your favorite dairy breed, Kevin? Okay, this is where I,
1: I'm not sure if 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 this is allowed. I'm gonna say Normandy
3: for my dairy oh. breed two. Oh, Okay, yes, that is yeah, it's perfect. definitely allowed. We and that have.
0: is allowed. I, I like it. I like I'm it.
3: taking advantage of the dual purpose breed there. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Brad, Brad's a fan. Brad's a fan. I,
2: I am. That's like second best. The second best answer.
3: I, I didn't say Holstein, so I didn't get Hey, you that's right. Yes. He, he didn't we, widen the gap. So that's good. All right. Let's uh, <laughs> hit the totals Holsteins at 11 jerseys at eight Brown Swiss at four Montbelliard at three Dutch belted at two and now Dor- Normandy at two as well.
0: Well, I'd love to get a little bit more variety in there. So that's good. And Kevin had plenty of time to prepare. Usually people are put on the spot. So, but he knew what was coming. <laughs> All right so you know before we really dive into it you know of course this is part of our uh, mental health awareness series for the month of may um but first i just want to give a little background and let kevin give a little background i uh similar to bradley uh have communicated with kevin quite a bit on twitter so i will give a plug right now he's at lost lake farmer Give him a follow, lots of great photos and videos. That is like my favorite thing about following you, Kevin. And I share your stuff with a lot of my non-farming friends uh, cause you just do a really great job. But I am gonna let you tell just brief overview of your farm, Bradley, you are allowed one farm related question. So make it a good one.
1: <laughs> I, I just wanna, uh, since you're plugging my my uh, social media I have the same handle at Lost Lake Farmer on Instagram and TikTok, so um, Ooh, nice. you can follow me on three different three different uh, forums uh, with the the same handle. And I don't always have the same content; it's usually different. So it's if you follow me on one, it's worth following me on another because because it's Ooh. different pictures, different videos. Every once in a while, I'll have some crossover. But
2: anyways,
0: good promo Kevin. <laughs>
2: Oh, I gotta check out TikTok.
1: Yeah, just a little bit about our farm. So it, it is me and my wife, uh Renee, and we are the main owner operators. We are Lost Lake Farm LLC, and LLC is because we actually went uh sort of different route of getting uh startup funding, and we have 12 different investors um, who are co-owners in the farm we own 51 percent, myself and my wife and then the other 49 percent is owned between 12 different people or they all have different amounts so um some people we we've known a while some people we met when we went out in the community we did some pitches and had some community meetings to try and recruit investors so we kind of went out of the box there because uh, what we were trying to do didn't fit uh, the the sort of standard model and getting financing uh, wasn't happening. So we have 80 acres on the home farm. We own four. So we own the house and buildings and yard and a little bit of pasture, um, the rest we rent uh, from my aunt and uncle who bought it as an investment and rent it to us at market rates. Uh, We're milking 20 cows and uh, turning all the milk into cheese on farm. We milk once a day. And right now it's in the afternoon. Normally it's in the morning. It's a different situation because we don't have an employee um, right now. And so Normally they the employee milks the morning that I make cheese because I'm busy making cheese, but without an employee to be able to fit it into the day, I do it at the end of the day. Hopefully that'll shift back to the mornings again pretty soon here. <laughs> um, then we also have a few pigs uh, that we feed the whey to. Uh, we soak feed in whey, sometimes have them on pasture, kind of depends on time, if I have time to set up fence and get a group trained and that sort of thing. We are not or not certified organic. We follow mostly organic things. I will say the main reason, well, the main reason we're not organic is because the way we market, which is mostly direct direct sales, we don't really need a third-party certification. Is the the main reason. So you know, organic certification takes a lot of time, a lot of paper paperwork, and there is some cost to it. The other reason is we like to have antibiotics as a tool if we need it. So that is the one thing that I disagree with. Um, there, we we you know we try not to use antibiotics, but there are times where it is the best tool and it maybe that is because of a previous failure or whatever but, but there are times where it is a very useful tool um, and so i like to have that in the toolbox and then not not have to necessarily sell that animal because i
3: don't have very many animals so every animal i sell has a big impact brad brad i think i think it's time for your only question farm question unless you want to text me one and then i'll ask one then.
2: no i will ask one thing Thanks, that you. i one thing I uh, find interesting about Kevin's farm is his cows have horns, and I'm curious why he has decided to leave his horns on cows. I have lots of reasons. We're doing some of that here, but I'm, I'm you know, you don't see that very often.
1: Okay, I have been working on my answer to that um, because it's hard to explain. The easiest answer is I like horns, and I like how the animals look. So initially, is because. I follow not all but some of the principles of biodynamics and in biodynamics horns are seen as an important organ for cows. Um, And it's uh, seen as. Well, multiple things, a sensory organ, a digestive organ, and if you know anything about biodynamics, it it involves. A lot of things having to do with cosmic forces, other unseen things that you know, get into spirituality, which we don't need to dive into here, but that the, the horns play an important part in that. And so that's that's where it, it came from originally my reasoning. Um, and you know, I grew up on biodynamic farms. I trained on biodynamic farms in Germany. Uh, so I was only ever around horned mm-hmm. cows before I got my own cows. Um, so that's the only thing I really knew. I, I guess to add to that, I would say I I feel like it's an important part of cow behavior, how they interact with each other. And yeah, so those are all 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 part of it. And I understand a lot of the reasons why one would not want horns. It takes... It takes more, you know. You have to make sure they have enough space, um, both for cow safety and human safety. And it, you know, anybody working with animals always should have spatial awareness of where the where the animal are animals are, but as, especially if with horned animals, it doesn't matter how friendly they are. If they have a fly bothering them, or if mm-hmm. another cow is bothering them, or whatever. You know, they're not very spatially aware of you or how frail humans are. They aren't trying, they aren't necessarily trying to hurt you, but a horn can hurt you very quickly. And so just that safety pitch, horns can be dangerous. And I'm aware of that. And I I try and be, you know, really careful around my horned cows. Sure. Hmm. Well,
3: that's good advice. Thank thank you for the safety
0: comment, Kevin. That really (laughs) means a lot to me personally. Yeah, that, that, (laughs) that
3: makes Emily feel really good that you're addressing that. Yeah.
0: Mhm-, so it really sounds like Kevin, you know you have a lot going on, and I think it's so interesting just to hear about, like you said, kind of the unconventional way you got into dairying and you know using the biodynamics for for some people that's unconventional, you know, horned cows uh I know you have a lovely mix of breeds and color uh in your pastures as well and you know, like I said, there's a lot going on. I feel like we've barely scratched the surface, making cheese, having pigs, you know, working with your wife. What would you say are kind of some of the biggest challenges that you have faced in, in kind of your unconventional path into dairying and, and even through dairying currently?
1: Well, I don't know if you knew this was, was coming. And so you were just kind of lobbing me a softball or what but mental health by far the biggest challenge since i've started doing this full time Def- definitely i mean there have been a lot of challenges but by far the most challenging thing for me has been mental health
0: yeah i think that's really you know good that you recognize that you know i was expecting and a lot of people do this is they'll you know just give me the laundry list of their stressors Right. And, and I'm sure you could think of a lot of different challenges, you know, challenges with having cows with horns, challenges with, uh, you know, making cheese, things break down, et cetera. Uh, but I think they can all kind of be summed up back to mental health. Right. Because all of these things take their toll on, on us as people. And so I think it's really great that you just kind of went right for it. You're like, yeah, my mental health is is a challenge. So do you want to, you know, share a little bit more about that? I know you share a lot on Twitter about it, which is how I kind of first got connected with you, you know, seeing you, you know, talk about the good days and the bad days. And, and here's here's a good picture and here's a bad picture, you know. Yeah, would we just would love to know a little bit more about how how you got into that.
1: I'll, I'll start by saying part of why it's more obvious to me, I think, that mental health is my biggest challenge is that i have you know a clear before farming and after farming i mean farming has always been a part of my life but not in the same way as somebody who grew up on a farm started you know working on the family farm and uh you know and then maybe at some point quit the off-farm job um there there were uh, um depression has been you know a big problem for me the last five years or challenge and you know looking back i can see where i had some issues with depression before that but it wasn't in the forefront it wasn't really as big a problem before and when it really started to be something that really had to be addressed was back in 2016 that's not when we started our farm but that's when i had no more no other off-farm employment that's when we we started september of well march of 2015 i or 2016 uh was when i stopped managing hogs at my, uh at a at a, a nearby facility um yeah so i yes i have worked in conventional agriculture i worked in you know hog refinements for a few years before this and then september is when we started selling cheese that fall of 2016 I was milking twice a day at that point I had a full-time employee which was part of the business plan who was doing I think 5 of the milk five milkings a week and some other farm tasks and that was his that filled up his 40 hours and I was we had enough milk at that point that this is how I remember it anyways I was making cheese every other day the, the, I was making two cheeses when I started, and both of them were pasta filata cheeses, which is um, mozzarella and provolone are both in that, that category, so that means they're stretched in hot water. Uh, both of those processes, without going into detail of the cheese make process, essentially I started at 3.30 in the morning, and the earliest I would get done would be the following midnight. My employee would do the evening milking on that day, but it was too, too much for him to do the following morning. Couldn't didn't have enough recovery time. So if you can tell, I might have still some harbor, some hard feelings here. Um, So I would, you know, I would do that like 18, 20, 22 hour day. You know, sometimes it would go till two or three in the morning. And then I would get up at five and milk cows the next morning. Um, And then I would go to bed the following evening, you know, whenever I could get up at 3.30 the next morning after that and do it again. So I did that all that fall. So any, you know, between that and the stress of, you know, we were six months behind our marketing plan. So we were already running low on cash and uh, we had like three weeks of market before the market ended and our plan was to start selling cheese right at the beginning of summer um instead we hit the end of summer so it, you know we ended up doing a bunch of wholesale and trying to get wholesale the cheese buyers to 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 want to buy it and you know there were you know my life is stressful now it was 10 times worse then and uh, i feel like that's that's when it all just really, Okay, you can be a little bit depressed where you're stressed or 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 feel down some days if you are really short on sleep, that is going to make it a lot worse. So that's when it became a real problem was when I was doing that. So that was a bit of a a long answer, but that's that what you can see how that was a really stressful time where I was also really excited because I was finally living out my dream but then feeling really bad because it felt like a nightmare. And it was, uh, you know, at some point at the encouraging of my my wife, I tried to see professional help. And that was a long process, which we can go into later uh, itself of trying to get the right kind of help um, and so forth, getting I wasn't even on Twitter. Well, maybe 2017. I can't remember when I went on Twitter. But I didn't, uh, you know, I wasn't sharing about the mental health stuff right away. But I feel like for me, it started just one day, I was just like, I just feel horrible. I feel angry. And I feel like the world needs to know that I'm hurting. And I, you know, for no particular reason, and I just started tweeting about it. And at that point, it was it, it started out just sort of as a vent, as venting, and and then a lot of people were like, "You're so brave," and uh, things like that. And I'm like, "Well, you know, I was just kind of venting and getting it out there." But and I think why people don't is because they're afraid of the negative reactions. And the closest thing to a negative reaction I've got on social media when talking about my depression and my experiences is people doing the, and, and it was done in not in a bad way, they were with bad intentions, is when people say, well, there are so many people that would love to be doing what you're doing, you know, that sort of comparative thing, which is not helpful, which, you know, people that have been around mental health, you know, they kind of know that, you know, it's something people do, and they're trying to help it's not helpful, but that, so that's the closest to a negative reaction I've had. I've never had somebody say, would you just be quiet with the whining? You know, it's possible that some people don't, that they maybe came on to watch uh, a look at my cow pictures. So that's why they started following me or, or to watch the cheese making and they were turned off by it. And, and, and they left, you know, I don't get to do exit interviews when people stop following me, but I don't think I've lost a lot because of it. Uh, mostly, I've gotten really good feedback. I've made actually some really good connections. You know, between Emily, other people that have reached out. You know, often via direct message, they'll they'll say, "Hey, anytime you want to send me a message, you know, are you okay?" Or you know, or they'll just give me their cell phone number and they'll say, you know, if you need to call me, you know, just complete strangers That's that just know me yeah. through Twitter. That that are they're
3: just like I'm here for you. If you need to talk, here's my number. Call me day or night. That's really cool. That's that's pretty impressive that people are willing to reach out with that. And I think it it's amazing that you can reach out to the to the world of the internet. And we all know how the internet can be. Sometimes uh, it can be a pretty <laughs> harsh place. So I, I'm. It's exciting to me to hear that you've had such a good experience with it. What I wanted to ask you, Kevin, was you you kind of touched on it a little bit. You were feeling. You're feeling bad because the thing that you've been working so hard to do is your dream job and you're not enjoying it. And now you maybe you feel guilty about not enjoying it. And then you're working yourself to the bone with no sleep. Do you realize what's happening when you're doing that? Or or do you just kind of stretch yourself thin and someone else had to point out to you that, you know, it, it's, it's OK that you're feeling this way? Were you self-aware enough in the moment to know how stretched thin you were? You were and 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 because I feel like I see that in farmers a lot. They, they're just so used to the daily grind that they don't realize that uh, maybe that's that's not the way it has to be. I
1: mean, I realized that I was stretched thin. You know, realizing the connection with mental health and that sort of thing. There were a lot of self awareness things. You know, I mean, it's still a journey, but that's that's a lot of what therapy has has been is noticing what is what is going on and what the feedback loops are i mean therapy is different for for everybody for me it's not sitting on a couch and talking about my childhood or whatever it's it's going through okay how are you reacting to to when something goes bad when you when you when you're in a good mood and you're reacting well versus how are you reacting when you are feeling depressed and it brings you down even more and you're and you're blaming yourself for it or whatever, you know, like almost like picking it apart analytically so that to be more self-aware. So a lot of it is starts with the awareness and then developing ways of 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 trying to train yourself to to react differently. Um, So so that self-awareness has come with time and that's it's not easy
0: so following up with that kevin you know when you were feeling this way and talking about that self-awareness piece you know now hindsight's always 2020 were there specific things that you kind of noticed started to slip i mean you talked about not getting enough sleep but maybe did you notice you know, you, you felt angry more, or maybe you were getting in, you know, more fights with your wife or yelling at the kids a little more, or just feeling like you couldn't get out of bed some days, you know, what were some of those things that you kind of noticed that maybe, you know, Renee, your wife noticed, and that eventually became a part of you thinking about the self-awareness piece. And what are those feedback loops? And maybe what are the signs that I'm not doing well right now because X, Y, and Z are happening?
1: It's a really tricky question to answer, um, because it was, you know, all kinds of things happening at once. Um, mm-hmm. Renee has been really supportive and um, and she has definitely you know, noticed a lot of things and tried a lot of different ways to be helpful, which is is not easy. There needs I mean, probably there are somewhere there needs to be a support group for spouses of depressed people. Uh, because it's not an easy job you know i definitely noticed uh, i guess the biggest thing i noticed was my inability to have get up and go or gumption you know i've always i'm I'm naturally a hard worker i didn't go into this because i don't like to work i didn't go into this expecting it was going to be easy um expecting i was going to be able to work 40 hour weeks um i never had that expectation But I did expect I would be able to sleep eight-hour nights sometimes, um, which I do now sometimes. Not as much as I would like. I'm still working on that. but And be able to do some things that weren't farm-related. So anger, irritability, losing my temper, those things definitely came along with it for me. Um, But I think even before... Depression was a big thing. I think that was something I struggled with, and I didn't make the connection that that those things were linked until much later. I think Renee may have. So, you know, anger works differently in different people. I generally, I, I guess, I should be really thankful that my anger—I don't get angry with people as much. You know, I don't like conflict. Sometimes that can be a problem too but but i i get mad at inanimate objects and unfortunately i get mad at cows and i always kick myself afterwards um which doesn't necessarily make it better um the anger piece has gotten a a lot better and i you know therapy has helped with that but i think one one of the, that is one of the things that I think medication, which is another topic that we may or may not want to get into, but medication has helped uh, with the anger piece. That's that's the the piece that it has helped most markedly with. And medication, getting medications right is a whole journey of its own. That helped a lot, but also also therapy and sleep.
0: All right. I have one more follow-up question I want to jump into really, really quick. And then I will let Joe ask a question that I know he's chomping at the bit to ask. Um, but Kevin, and, and just keep this answer, answer short. So on episode one for our mental health series, we were joined by Dr. Megan King, who has actually done research that suggests that when farmers um, are in poor mental health, their animals may be in poor health or, you know, welfare may not be um, as high of a priority. And I was just curious if you've, you know, maybe noticed that or, or you know, and if you don't want to answer this, you don't have to. Uh, but, you know, just curious if hearing that, you know, makes you think, yeah, like when the cows are better, I'm better and vice versa. You know, and we really talked about it being a two-way street where it's not just human dependent and not just cow dependent. But kind of goes both ways. So I'm I'm just curious if you have any you know observations or thoughts um, on that with your experience on the farm. Uh,
1: I guess I will say it's most obvious in the parlor. If you have a bad attitude or a bad mood, the cows will throw it right back at you, and like literally, they will kick you more and they will poop on you more. Um, and but then on the like long term health aspect, I think it's more just that my brain, when I'm my brain is healthier, I'm able to make better management decisions. And thereby helping all the health outcomes better, but not necessarily, of course, it's hard to know exactly. But that's, that's, that's what I've observed.
0: Okay, Joe, I just need an isolated soundbite of when my brain is healthy, my cows do better, or I can make decisions better. I, I just need that, that can be a slogan for a future t-shirt or something. Sure. I'll pull it out like that right there. That sums it up for me. Like that's, oh, that's what I want every farmer to hear. So maybe just like play that, you know, on, on loop loop. a couple of times,
3: like an affirmation uh,
0: episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: I, I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm relating to Kevin a lot right now when we talk about, you know, the irritability and the anger when I've struggled with my own mental health, that has been, one of the things I noticed first, the irritability is big. Uh, my anger at inanimate objects is uh, through the roof when my mental health isn't straight. Uh, yeah, I, I, I really relate to that a lot. So, so one of the things, Kevin, that I wanted to get into is how you made the step to commit to going to therapy. And take me through that journey just a little bit of like, you know, when did you decide, yeah, I should go? Did you have to have someone like your wife say, you know, you really should go? How did you go through that decision to to actually jump in and and commit to therapy?
1: Well, first off, let me say, I am lucky that I have a wife who has a full-time job with benefits and health insurance that covers mental health. And so that has made therapy an affordable option for me. And that doesn't mean it's not affordable if you don't have health insurance, but I I can't really speak to that. But I feel incredibly privileged that I don't have to take that into consideration in whether or not to go to therapy. Like money is not part of it. I don't even have to do a copay. Uh, That is just an incredible privilege. So it definitely was at the urging of my wife to start with. And so there was probably a year, maybe even two of reading books, talking to friends and relatives and getting suggestions of other people that had struggled with things, people sending me books and articles and trying strategies on my own before my wife was like, look, you know, we need to, you know, we have good health insurance. You need to go see the professionals like this. You know, this is too big a problem to address just by you know reading a book even if it was written by a mental health professional you need somebody to address your problem specifically you can't self-diagnose and fix it with diet and exercise which is basically what i was trying to do and from from that step of saying okay we need to see mental health professional, it's OK, first, OK, what's available in our area? And we're, again, lucky that we live. So we're at about a half hour north of Ames, uh, which is not a large city, but it's a city that has has a, a hospital and a, a large the McFarland Clinic system and so forth. We're only an hour from Des Moines, which has even more. And so many people in rural areas would have a lot fewer options or would have to drive further you know, we had options to look through and so, okay, do we start with this therapy clinic or here or there, you know, and we essentially drew a name out of a hat of one that looked like it was a good, good fit that had both therapists and clinicians on staff who would, you know, who could prescribe. So we thought, okay, you know, we can go to one place that we can, everything that may be needed. Um, Because I went into it, I was like, you know, the first session they have sort of an intake to kind of assess what what is it really, you know, what are you dealing with? What do we think we we would recommend for you? And then they direct you to I'm trying to think. So I ended up doing they had so they didn't have an actual psychiatrist on staff, but they had a nurse practitioner who could prescribe medications. Which I guess you know, my primary care physician could also prescribe. Um, they can prescribe all the things that a psychiatrist can. They just—it's not their specialty. So they first recommended that I go to see, do a session with the the nurse practitioner to to get um, to go down the med- medication route. Which I was I was pretty skeptical on at first. I was like, oh, I don't want to you know, I don't want to get all drugged up and start to mess with things that way. But if they know these guys are the professionals, I'm trying to do the professional route, I'll do what they think is right. I did not like the nurse practitioner. Um, I do not know where he got his training, but he made comments like, well, farmers back in the day used to work night and day, seven days a week, and they never had to had to take any break, you know, like, That is like anybody who has ever heard anything about mental health knows that's a bad thing to tell a depressed person that like, you know, there are other people that are doing what you're doing and or or doing it and working harder, you know, like it's like the worst possible thing to say. I wish everybody
0: um, could have seen our faces because me, Brad and Joe were all like, oh, when you said that, that's yeah. Yeah. It's obvious to you guys. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And he prescribed me to, I, you know, I don't remember what it's, what it's called, but, um, an, an antidepressant, um, the, the struggle with antidepressants is that they take, they take a while that, you know, it's not like you take it. It's not, it's not like a pain medication that you take it and it takes effect within 20 minutes or whatever. It can take a week or two or three before you really know. And so, he prescribed it and he said, you know, okay, we'll have another session in, I don't remember what it was, it was a month or six weeks or something like that, and review if we need to do a different dosage or try a different medication or something like that. And and let me add, it was this was early February, and February tends to be, as for many people who even don't struggle with depression otherwise, February can be a hard month. Because there's not much, m- much, much uh, daylight. The weather tends to be gray and it's not like pretty snow. It's like ugly, brown, half melty snow. I don't need to go into why February is a hard month, but whatever that medication was, it made me super tired. Like I could hardly move. It made me twice as depressed. I barely made it through that month without committing suicide. Like that was bad and i probably should have if i had trusted that provider i probably would have called them after a week and said look this is making me way worse worse i can't but i didn't trust him and so i was like well i'm supposed to go through the month so i you know kept going for a month and i don't think i had a second session with that guy i think i just stopped taking it eventually because it was just so bad and i didn't go back but i ended up going to another therapist at a different place And I saw that therapist for several months, and it seemed like it was okay. But I was also getting some, you know, not great judgy comments from her, I felt like. And I felt like she just didn't get what I was going through. She didn't understand, you know, like the whole like working seven days a week and a slow day being working eight hours. I don't think she ever got that or, you know, like me saying that, like, I have a hard time getting up from lunch and I get stuck watching TV. She was like, well, you know, people who work at jobs, they can't watch TV at lunch. It's like, well, you know, like, I don't get an evening to do fun things because I'm working 16 hours a day. Like, I don't think she ever. So, at any rate, I did, I stuck with her for several months and I eventually stopped. And so I went then almost a full year without going to therapy. And then my wife was actually going to therapy, not for depression, for other issues having to do probably with burnout from grad school. Her therapist actually requested that I come in for one of her sessions. To talk about our our relationship and to and my observations of her during the day and things like that. My depression came up during while I was there in my wife's session. And essentially that therapist sold me on therapy and recommend, but said, you know, it's we don't recommend that us that spouses see the same therapist. There's another therapist in our office that I think would be great for you. And so I, before I left that day, I made an appointment with that therapist. And now it's been almost a year and a half I've been with that therapist. It was not a straightforward, like, I'm gonna go see a therapist. Let me look one up up in the phone book, call them, make an appointment and start going. And, you know, and I know other people have had even more difficult roads. Like it's deciding to go to a therapist is hard. Finding the right therapist is also hard because you know they're not always going to be the right fit for you and if they're a good therapist they might recognize that they're not the right fit and maybe recommend a colleague who they think might fit your situation better and actually another podcast I listen to which is from NPR it's called life kit they have one all about how to find a therapist Um, I wish I had heard
3: that three years ago um, but I only heard that a month ago So. Um, I'll put that in the show notes. I think that's that's a good thing yeah. to do. And I don't I don't think I was quite aware of how difficult mm-hmm. it could be. I, I mean, I knew not every therapist was for every person, right? I mean, there, you have to have a good connection with that person. They have to understand what you're going through. I wasn't aware of how difficult it could be to find the right therapist. Emily, is that something that you have any thoughts on that? Like what? <laughs>
0: Something I always say about therapists is finding the right therapist is like shoe shopping. You usually need to try a few before you find the right fit. Sometimes you'll get lucky, but usually not. Um, I know uh, like Kevin, I have seen three different therapists and I actually ended up going back to number two um, because number two had referred me to to the third therapist and it just wasn't quite right. And, and I revisited with them about that um, and they were able to basically make room in their caseload for me. And, and I've been seeing that therapist for uh, yeah, probably about a year and a half also, Kevin. So it's, yeah, it can be difficult and it can be really easy to get discouraged. And, you know, Kevin's story is not unlike other farmers I've heard with running into therapists who just don't seem to get specifically the farm lifestyle and that it is 7 days a week of work and just you know taking a long weekend um, is not really a viable option um and so i think that that is a big challenge and and something that we've been working on and and are aware of in in the farm and rural stress arena um is kind of that like me professionals that's that's really really important
3: i find it really interesting that that you were able to get medication, Kevin, without finding the right person to talk to like that to me, like clearly that nurse practitioner was not the right fit. And you knew that. But I mean, that's kind of the toss up, right? Like, of course, you want to have the right person to talk to when you get to medication, but sometimes you need that medication to have, like you said, the gumption and the, the get up and go to then go through that process of trying to find the right therapist. So I don't know. I mean, Kevin, Emily, thoughts on like, I don't know. I'm just interested in the dynamic of that medication and therapy and then not being able to do both at the same time.
0: And and I think it happens in different ways. Right. Everybody's situation is different. Everybody's inroad to mental health care is different. You know, some people start medication first uh, because they may tell their primary care physician, you know, hey, I think I'm depressed or, you know, there are certain. Questionnaires and instruments they can use. The PHQ 9 um, is one that's commonly used for depression and suicidal thought. And so, a doctor, you know, a primary care physician can't provide, you know, counseling or therapy. And so they may just go, okay, you know, here's medication and it's done. Or they may go, here's medication and we're going to refer you to this therapist. I was really fortunate. That was my situation where. My therapist, the one I currently see, they're actually integrated into my healthcare system. Um, And so my therapist and my doctor can both see my chart, uh, which is really useful since my therapist cannot prescribe medication, uh, but they can still communicate about that. And so anyways, and then where some people, and that was kind of where I started that I went to therapy first. Um, and again, I, I saw a, a licensed therapist, but uh, they weren't a nurse practitioner. They could not prescribe anything. So they recommended, I think you should talk to your doctor and you can tell them that I said this would be my recommendation, but they're the doctor so they can decide what they do. And so that was really useful, too. Um, I just I got really lucky and that was for my first therapist. Um, just that I had that guidance from them of kind of what to say to my doctor and what would work for me or what they thought might work. You know, my experience with it is it just happens so differently for everybody. There are sometimes situations where, you know, if it's not a physician's area of expertise, um, yeah, it's just, oh, here's a medication and, and go on your way. And for some people that works. And for some people it doesn't and for some people it's you know just therapy and they don't need medication and that works and for some people like myself like kevin it's a combination of both and that's what you know comes together to make it work you know the most important thing is we we all need to share our stories about mental health i think because they're all different and everybody experiences it differently but we will still have some similarities, uh, like like we were saying last week, where we're not all in the same boat, but we're on the same ocean. So, you know, we can navigate these waters together. Kevin, I'd be curious uh, to hear what you think on this as well.
1: I actually had a really similar experience to yours. So I had that first nurse practitioner that didn't work out. And then I kind of, you know, I had been skeptical of the medication route from the start. And that kind of Reinforced that, and then I went to see a therapist. But then it was actually that first therapist that didn't work out. Who, uh, after you know several sessions, was like, you know, I think we're we're having trouble, you know, working on the things that we need to work on in therapy because your depression is pretty major. And so, if you can see a a prescriber of some kind, um, then maybe the met, the medications can bring that depression level down to a manageable level where maybe we can work on some strategies through therapy um, so that the medication alone isn't going to just get rid of it. Like you said, for some people that might be might just work like magic. Most people probably it's not magical, but occasionally it might. And so she actually referred me to a psychiatrist who is an has her own practice um, in Ames. And so I was able to get in, you know, but she had a several month waiting period and I actually got in. And so I'm still seeing the psychiatrist, not as frequently as therapy, but, you know, every couple months, you know, we think we're, we've got the right combination of, of meds right now, but we're still kind of seeing if we need to make tweaks of, you know dosages or timing or whatever you know it's a it's it's hard and you know and it took it took a couple of years at even working with a psychiatrist who you know this is what they do their this is their her specialty to get to that point and that can be very frustrating the other part i want to touch on is just finding the time to go to these appointments is hard it's exhausting and it's hard when we got to the point where I realized I needed to see professional help, you know, it was like the success of our business depends on me getting getting better because this is gonna fail if I if I don't get better, and so we need to make time. It is a, an essential essential part of work. It's still hard to find the to make the time. And you know what? Honestly, during this pandemic, insurance will pay for telehealth. And so I can do it from home and so I don't have to take the time to drive to town. And that is huge. But at the end of June, that's going to run out. And I don't know why insurance providers won't pay for it regularly. I don't understand, especially something like therapy or, or even psychiatry, where, you know, There isn't anything about physical presence that is more beneficial necessarily, but for somebody like me who lives rurally and has a really busy work life, making the time, 40 minutes to drive there, plus park, walk into the building, do the appointment, walk out, drive, you know, like it's it's taking several hours out of my day. And that's hard to find several hours. And, and so I've really liked the telehealth, but we're going to have to have to find a way to, to make that
3: work again, uh, in, in July. Yeah. We're going to have to, we're going to have to put Emily on that. It's kind of sicker on that problem about telehealth being covered. Working
0: on it. Yeah. I did want to make a point, you know, Kevin, how you were talking about, you know, Getting the dosages of medication right, but still going back and visiting with your psychiatrist every few months, and and that's what I say to people too. Is the goal? I think for everybody involved in this, whether it's your physician, a therapist, psychiatrist, et cetera, is to get you to that point where all you need is just you know. I compare it to routine maintenance, like on your car. You know, you take your car in for an oil change; they run diagnostics. Uh, same thing. You know, take yourself in. How are things working? Is everything going well? What could we maybe change? What seems to be causing issues that wasn't last time? And so I think it's really important that you, you know, said that. I'm really glad that you brought that up because I think that that's a really important piece of it. And it's not, oh, I, you know, I got this prescription once I'm good to go for the rest of my days or, you know, I went to therapy, but I feel better now, so I don't need to go back. We need to keep up with ourselves and keep up with our mental health, just like how we go and get physical, you know, checkups, you know, we're, we're supposed to get a physical every year. I'm not sure everybody does Anywho, my point is just making sure that you stay with it and that you don't ignore it again. Right. I think that that's a really important point um, that you have made as well, but we are uh, you know kind of running low on time here so I'm curious Bradley or Joe any other questions well,
3: one of the things I've been thinking about since we started this series is and, and and Kevin kind of addressed some of it like with the the question the questions and the comments he was getting from some of the initial people that he saw you know I, I feel like what I've seen play out uh, when I was in practice and, and visiting farms is that there is, this this guilt that comes to farmers when they feel like like you know it's it's completely unrealistic for Kevin to be working twenty two hour days, sleeping almost nothing, and then getting up and milking and doing it all again, like it's completely unrealistic. But there's like a, a feeling of guilt I feel like because people expect farmers to be like the pillars of society, and they've always seen them as like you know just rock solid and working hard and that's just expected. In my mind, it's not fair, but there's a lot of guilt that comes with that feeling when people are like, well, you're supposed to be, you're supposed to be the hardest working person of all of us, like, and and you're breaking down. Can both Emily and you, Kevin, can you, can you just talk about that, that feeling that might creep in that guilt? Guilt is a huge, huge part of that. And that is
1: well, there there are many. You know, they talk about negative self talk is a lot of what therapists talk about, and guilt is a a big you know guilt that you place on yourself is a big part of that, and and it is a hard one to overcome. It's you know what I often call it, you know my 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 therapist gives me mental gymnastics uh, to do, um, and that's what it feels like is you know because you're having to build new habits. Mentally, which you know, that's the tough thing. You have to like use your brain to fix your brain. But you know, like even a couple episodes ago, you guys had somebody on who's just like an amazing person who does. You know, he was a radio—I don't remember his name. He was a radio host, and he does hog sites, and he has manages his you know beef feed lot. You know, just like, and he works out for an hour every morning. I was listening to that and, you know, like, I should just be in awe of this person who can get by like that um, and just be like, wow, that's, that's, that's cool that he can do all that stuff. But instead, I'm, my brain goes to, well, shoot, I guess I'm not actually that hardworking, you know, like that's, that's where my brain automatically goes. Where the, where the therapy kicked in then is the fact that I noticed right away that I did that. And I was like, well. You know, like I'm feeling guilty and I still felt guilty, but I I noticed that I was feeling guilty and that I shouldn't feel guilty and that I was just comparing myself to somebody in the, that we're all different, you know. Some people need six hours of sleep, some people need nine, Um you know, just as an example and comparing yourself to somebody else it's a fool's fool's game, but yeah the, dealing with the guilt is it's a it's an ongoing challenge um to to stop stop feeling feeling guilty. Because but you know, it's also hard because there is no th- such thing as being a perfect farmer. There because there is, there's always more you can do. There's always something you could have done better or some you know job you could have done a little bit more perfect. And so being okay with you know knowing that you are doing a good job or even knowing, you know, not feeling bad about the hundred things I'm not doing, knowing okay, I set a priority that today I need to do this job. And it's okay that I'm only doing this job because I'm only one person. I can only be in one place at a time. And I am doing the job that is the most important right now. And to remind myself of that and not to let my mind go to the other, 100 other things.
0: I just have a couple of points I'm going to add. But first, I'm going to say, Kevin, you should write a book. Um, you've like, I've written down so many things you've said today. Cause they're just yeah. brilliant. Um, Me too. but you know what I want to say in, in follow-up to what Kevin was saying first is yes. Comparison is the death of confidence. And so I think it's important to remember, like Kevin was saying that everybody is on their own journey. Everybody has their own thresholds and there's usually a lot going on with people that we are unaware of. of why we're having these conversations this month um the other thing that i would say as far as the guilt or feeling like again you're not keeping up or comparing yourself to others and and this is the mental gymnastics that i get from my therapist um kind of an ongoing theme because it just kept coming up in sessions was the concept of both and where at the very beginning kevin i was going to say this where yeah right now with farming it it can both be your dream And it can be a nightmare some days, Um, you know, these things that like thinking everything exists singularly in a vacuum. uh, That's not the way the world works. A lot of it is dichotomies or even more than that, right? So it's both and it's light and dark. Um, And I think that that I know for me has been a really important thing that I've learned in therapy and, and has been part of my kind of ongoing homework that I get is, you know, when I am feeling down or feeling like, uh, yeah, feeling guilty, especially. Um, you know, think of it as a both and. Like, yes, I can both be happy with a certain situation, and I can be frustrated by it. Or, you know, it's like, oh yes, I I love my job, and I do. I'm both in love with my job and have days where it's just really exhausting. And I'm just like, ugh, you know, that's totally normal. Um, so I'm really glad that that you spoke to that, Kevin. Uh, But we are getting about close to needing to wrap. So I'm just curious, Kevin, is there any other points you wanted to make something you were really hoping we'd ask you about today, but didn't Um, any, any last message you want to share with us and with our listeners?
1: No, I just want to thank you guys for having me on. And thank you for having a wonderful podcast. I subscribes and I always listen to it while I'm milking cows You know, even when it's, you know, when you're talking about things that apply mostly to bigger confinement dairies um, or to managing employees and setting systems or whatever, it always gets me thinking and thinking about improving my management. And so thank you. Thank you for having doing a wonderful job. And thank you for having me on and asking good questions.
0: Well, thank you for that glowing review, Kevin. Uh, Like I said, Kevin has been um, one of our our early listeners. uh, So we're so excited that he's gotten to be on the show with us now. And before we wrap and do some plugs, I want to give a huge shout out and thank you to Kevin's wife, Renee. Um, I know that it is not easy to be a partner to somebody in in crisis or that has struggles with their mental health. And and you touched on that, Kevin, you know, it can be tough for them. And I think it's so great that you recognize that. And like I said, I just want to give her a shout out uh, because she is phenomenal. I love seeing her pop up on Twitter every now and again, too. I know that she does a lot um, uh, on the farm as well. And I think it's so great that she was the one to really help connect you uh to to getting help in the first place. Uh so so shout out to Renee for sure.
1: I will pass that on and I will make sure she listens to this episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect.
0: Yeah, we talked about her a lot. She's great. So <laughs> with that, questions, comments, I don't think I'm gonna accept scathing rebuttals about this episode. But if you have anything you want to say, you can always email the moose room at umn.edu.
3: That's T H E M O O S R O O M at umn.edu.
0: You can find Kevin at Lost Lake Farmer on Twitter, on Instagram, and on TikTok. Lots of great content, so be sure to check him out there. Uh, if you are interested in learning more about the farm and checking out their online cheese shop, you can visit Lost Lake Farm LLC.com. There you go. Lots of things to follow. But yes, thank you again, Kevin, for being on. This was an outstanding episode. Great conversation. I know I really learned a lot and just very, I'm very appreciative of your willingness to to share your story and, and to put up with the three of us for far too long. So we will see you next week, everybody. Bye. Bye. This is my world. You are just living in it. That's true.
1: <laughs> you guys are so cute. <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: but she please
2: is. Please. She is wrong every once in a while when she thinks Holstein is the number one. Mm-hmm.